Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. And today I am with my friend and colleague, Rory Nolan, and we are here together to talk about his new book, Transforming Worship, in this bonus episode. And before we get to talking about the book, we're going to take a little time to revisit our very long history together. Welcome, Rory. It's so good to have you. Very good to be with you, Ruth. And I'm looking yeah. forward to starting with our history together. It's a good place yes, to start. It is. It is. I don't want to admit that we've been on the planet long enough to have this much history, but I think it's actually true. <laughs> so Rory and I go all the way back to our days serving on staff at Willow Creek. And we actually started talking about spiritual formation intensely with each other on a trip that we took to Israel with some other staff. And it was on that trip that we began to identify our shared interest and passion in spiritual formation, because I was serving in the area of spiritual formation at Willow Creek at that time. And then, Rory, what was your title at that time? I was the music director. Yeah, the music director. Yeah. And so we were coming at it from slightly different angles, but we really met in this place where formation and worship kind of come together. And so I'm really excited about your book, Rory. And I wrote the foreword because I am excited about your book and I can't wait to talk about it with you in this way. So let's talk just a little bit about the transition from being on staff together at a particular church to then serving together in the Transforming Center when Rory was our worship leader for about 15 years. And he and I got to work together really closely in putting together the worship services, the fixed hour prayer and worship services for the Transforming Center. How do you remember it, Rory? Well, I remember cornering you at the back at the back of the bus. I thought I cornered you, so this is really interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I remember I was just curious about spiritual mm -hmm. formation, didn't know anything about it. And that was my question. It's like, Ruth, what is this spiritual formation? And uh, so I remember us having just a very uh, deep conversation. It's very helpful for me. And either you said this uh, or you asked me if this was kind of an interest of mine or that's something I was even thinking. I don't remember. But I walked away from the conversation going, yeah, I think there's something in that for me. I didn't know at the time what, what it was. Yeah. And it seems like it was a little bit later on then that you asked me one day if, about the fact that you were considering you know, a program in spiritual formation. And did I know of any? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I remember that conversation. I think that's a phone conversation. I remember that very yeah. well because I was at the point in my position on staff that I felt like I needed to go outside the church for the spiritual formation, for something deeper. I, mm -hmm. I realized I'm, I didn't know what it was, but I know I'm looking for something deeper. And so I, looked at something that I, I saw, I think, in a magazine or online or something. I'm not sure. And it was a, it's ironic, it was a retreat experience every quarter. You fly mm -hmm. down to, I think, Austin, Texas or something like that. And so I was willing to, you know, pay the money to fly down, you know, to Austin every quarter for this two-year program. But I was calling you. I, I said, you know me and you know all this mm -hmm. spiritual formation stuff, you know. Uh, so what do you think about this? And this was a month before TC2 was starting. Transform, and, that, is that is Transforming Community 2, yes. Exactly, yeah. And so you said, well, that's very similar to what we're doing. 
And so you just gave me a little bit of information and said, would you like to jump in on that? I said, I mean, without like hesitating, I was like, yeah, sign me up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that was how I got involved in, in that in actual community. So. Yeah. You know, we are very, very disciplined. I've, I've, I've said this before. We're very disciplined <laughs> about not approaching leaders to bring leadership in our transforming community experience. And so, of course, I knew that Rory was an amazing worship leader, a composer. There was so much Rory could bring, but I left him alone at that level in the community so that he could just be there as a soul in God's presence. But the minute it was over, I began asking him about whether or not he could see any vision for some musical elements in our Transforming Worship, because we were praying fixed hour prayer from the very beginning. When the Transforming Center began, the group of us that started it, started it in order to be able to, to learn and practice two things, at least, and that was extended periods of time in solitude and fixed hour prayer, and then eventually corporate leadership discernment. Those were the three things that were like, we really want to get to experience these practices with some people. And so we were practicing fixed hour prayer. And what I mean by that is praying at fixed hours of every day, morning, midday, evening, and night. And at that time, we were uh, having these little services that were scriptures and prayers of the church and silence and things like that, but we didn't have any music. And so when we were finished with Rory's Transforming Community 2 experience, I asked him pretty much immediately about whether or not he could see adding some musical elements to our worship, which began this new journey that we've been on for many years now. Yep. Do you remember that moment? Oh, I remember that moment. And I also think there was really great wisdom in giving me space to make that decision. And I think this is this is important to share my early experience with the Transforming Center worship services because uh, in many ways, the book, uh, my experience in Transforming Worship plus my experience in church, the book kind of put those two things together. But the in many ways, the Transforming Community was kind of a, of a lab, you know, for some of these ideas. Because my experience on retreat was just amazing. I love the teaching and I thought it was great, but I would sit there during these prayer times and go through the liturgy. I mean, I grew up Lutheran, so I wasn't entirely new to to liturgy, but it just spoke to me like never before. And then I would have, you know, our, our block of solitude in the afternoon and no kidding, like every retreat, I'd go for a walk or extend a walk and God would, would speak to me. So I was having these amazing experiences, encounters with God in the, uh, the prayer services and in the you know, solitude, that plus the teaching. And it was just, uh, just a very moving, deeply spiritual and deeply formative experience. Mm-hmm. And what I love about what you're saying is that it speaks to something that's just been true about the Transforming Center all the way along, and that in that everything that we are and have become has come organically like that, you know, like with people who have just engaged with us, and then we get to know each other and find out what each other has to offer, and we invite each other to offer our gifts. It's no more strategic than that. Like, it's just so organic the way God brings it out. And so... um That's why it was thrilling to have your book come out, Rory, Transforming Worship, Planning and Leading Sunday Services as if Spiritual Formation Mattered, because um, you're right, in in many ways, it's sort of capturing at least part, in part, the journey that we've been on, you know, together in planning these little services that I've started to come to believe are like power-packed, you know, 
drinks, you know, where there's so many important elements in them that you get so much from 15 or 20 minutes, you know, um, in terms of what, what happens spiritually speaking. And the other thing that I think about is the gifts that God gave us through you. And that is the music that God gave you for specific moments, because you are a composer. We'd be working on the prayer services with some music that might've come from somebody else or whatever. And I'd say, Rory, we need a song right here. Like we need a song right here after Lexio Divina or around Lexio Divina, or we need a song to bring us out of solitude, out of that four hours of solitude. Or we need to do something around our recitation of the apostles creed. What can we do around? And you and God would give you music for us that just fits these moments so beautifully and so perfectly. So I just feel, I don't know, like I've been given such a gift. I think one of the most unexpected gifts that I've received in my vocation over the last 20 years has been the opportunity to work with you um, in, in worship and in music and fixed hour prayer. So I feel very, very grateful and excited about that. Yeah, I, well, I feel very grateful and privileged for the experience and, you know, to be a part of something like that, where, yeah, you would throw out a suggestion, maybe we could use a song here Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) very soon God, God would drop something into my lap. I'm like, wow, that, that's pretty cool. And then, um, one of my favorite experiences as a worship leader in a transforming center is, you know, especially because we do it, we we pray and we sing in the round. Mm-hmm. And so I get to see people's faces and I've got mm-hmm. the best seat in the house because yeah. I'm walking around and I'm, you know, seeing people smile and smiling back and and I'm hearing all this sound around me. And there is just something uh, I don't want to use the word magical because it doesn't sound spiritual enough. You know, it sounds like Disney-esque. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's something just deeply authentic uh, as an expression of our community. Uh, I keep calling it the thing. It's, it's this mm-hmm. thing we got <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it, that I, I haven't experienced anyplace else. And, uh, you know, when, when we sing together and gather together as, you know, leaders uh, and, lo- you know, leaders, they have a heart for worship anyway. So they're singing mm-hmm. you know, their, their guts yeah. out, you know, and uh, very, <laughs> they're very sincere. And so there's this thing that happens, I think, when, when we meet that, you know, just I haven't seen any place else. Mm-hmm. So the privilege of being a part of that is something I'm very grateful for. Yeah. The other thing that I think has been very compelling and other worship leaders, leaders have commented on this as they've come through our communities um, is that and this is maybe seems odd to say, but you will say sometimes that you're not, you're not all that strong vocally. And so you really are relying on the group to really bring it. And what that means is that worship leaders who, who, you know, many times struggle with drawing attention to themselves and making it all about them and making it a performance versus actual worship in uh, being under your leadership as our worship leader, they see a whole different way of doing it. They see a whole different way of leading worship where it's not the bright lights and the, you know, it's more of a, a humble invitation to enter in together versus it being a performance. And I think that's been really, really refreshing for all of us and most especially the worship leaders who attend because they just, first of all, they get to give themselves to worship rather than leading worship. But then secondly, they see someone leading in a way that's different than some of what worship has become in the church today. Do you agree yeah. with that statement? Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. And, and 
to be up there and realize it's not about me. It, that's it's right. So not. And that's about what me. you model. That's what you model, which is so important and formative in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. But I, when I was even thinking about defining uh, transforming worship, how am I going to define it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had that picture in my mind because I define transforming worship as a communal experience that combines classic spiritual practices with a formative encounter with God in Christ, the Holy Spirit. And so, and this is what I you know, felt like we experienced. And, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, it's communal. It's mm-hmm. kind of alluding to what you're talking about. It's not a spectator thing. It's That's not right. something we come and watch somebody else do. And uh, so it's experiential. It's highly participatory. And it draws from uh, Christian traditions uh, and disciplines such as prayer, scripture reading, confession, Lord's Supper, baptism. But the assumption here is that every major part of the service, not just the sermon, can be spiritually formative. And so I began to see that, wow, at the heart of this thing, this experience that we call church, is a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Versus a performance. Yep. Bingo. Um, yeah. And that's that also, I would really affirm that even in my own experience, I'm often leading and I've certainly been the one to work on putting the prayer services together with whatever, with whoever we have serving as our worship leader. And yet I really do worship like, because we're, it's not a performance at all. I get to worship, you know, and just give myself to the whole experience. And, and I, and I have such a strong sense of anticipation about what God's going to do in those services. What's God going to say through the scriptures? How am I going to experience intimacy with God in this moment? How am I going to find a way to open to God, you know, which is the very definition of what spiritual practices are, that they are things we can do in our own bodies to open to the thing that only God can do. Right. Which is why spiritual practices is so important in your definition is that spiritual practices by definition, open us to the encounter beyond anything that we can orchestrate for ourselves. Yeah. And so we begin to see worship as a spiritual discipline as well. That's right. Yeah. That opens us to Mm -hmm. transforming encounters is how I would put it, that worship should be an experience where we have transforming encounters from time to time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, you think? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> you know, we're not going to get to all the themes in your book today, um, but let's talk about biblical principles for a moment, and then I have at least one other thing I want to draw attention to in this conversation. You discuss and put forward some basic biblical principles related to our gathered worship. Uh, what are some of those that you'd want to share with us right now? Well, the... Ones that I usually share, like right up the top, because they're kind of basic and formational. First of all, we trace in the book, I trace the origins of what I'm calling transforming worship, which is really biblical, authentic worship. You know, I'm not advocating a new trend or style of music or anything like that, uh, but kind of calling the church back to our biblical roots in that way. And so I trace the origins of uh, biblical worship, transforming worship to Mount Sinai. And this is where you know, God revealed to the Israelites, the Israelites, how he wanted to be worshipped. And right there, I was like, really? You know, I mean, scholars have traced this. I'm like, really? God has something to say about how he wants to be worshipped? It's like, I'm embarrassed to admit how long I had been leading worship before I even entertained that question. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, on Mount Sinai, that's exactly what happens. 
And one of the things that we learn from what God reveals is that worship is a God-initiated meeting between God and his people. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, we don't make it happen. God is the one who invites us into worship. And uh, so another related principle here is that, therefore, worship is dialogical in nature, uh, meaning that it is a conversation between God and his people. Sometimes we're talking to each other about God. Sometimes we're talking to God. Sometimes God is talking to us. But it's this dynamic mm -hmm. conversation. It's like God is really an avid conversationalist, you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is why the, uh, the service itself is not a spectator thing. We're there to meet with God. And so especially when you start laying down, down these principles, you start looking at the way we do services. And is there anything that we're doing um, that is you know, strengthening that or reinforcing that? And um, something that we do, many of our services, I, I can't remember specifically which ones are prayer times, but there's a line that we say in one, we say, uh, this is how the service opens. Our shouts greet you, Shepherd God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right with that line, I mean, that's just so mm -hmm. beautiful about the opening of that line yeah. is that it establishes that we're we're greeting God. He's the one who's yeah. called this meeting to order, mm -hmm. and we're also by talking to God, we're greeting Him instead yeah. of greeting each other. You know, hey, how you doing? You know, we're greeting God and recognizing Him as our Shepherd. And so, you know, just a little line like that or a song goes a long way in establishing that worship is a God-initiated meeting between him and his people, and it is dialogical in nature. Yeah. You know, and that there's 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 a lot of language that feels sometimes a little bit outdated or stilted, but there's a lot of language around these these kinds of things. And so I think you're really talking about that traditional language of an invocation, you know, invoking the presence of Christ, invoking the presence of God in such a way as to open up conversation and interaction and encounter. And I love that too, because rather than us thinking that we're bringing it, you know, right. we're yeah. saying, God, we want to open up space for you to bring it, you know, for yeah. you to bring what most needs to be brought. It's a, it's a real invitation and it's an old fashioned word, invocation, but we're really inviting God to interact with us and to lead yeah. and to stir and to do what God will do yeah. um, in the service. It really takes the pressure off me as someone who, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> quote, starts the service. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not up to me. I'm not yeah. the one who, yeah, come on people. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's God is the one. And so let's just look to God. Let, let's yeah. start talking to God. And yeah, I, the word invocation, yeah, it might be a little outdated, um, you know, if you like the word call to worship uh, more, that's, right. that's that maybe, you know, could be more mm -hmm. conducive to your, your setting. Right. But when you examine the early liturgies of the church, I mean, all the way to the present day, uh, the invocation, the call to worship, whatever you want to call it, uh, that's the purpose of it. And if you look at it closely, I mean, even an, another one that we do is uh, open our lips to God and we shall mm -hmm. declare your that's praise. Right. 
It's like, and it's after the great silence when we've had our mouth shut for about 12 yes, hours, you know? Yes, <laughs> yes, I love it, you know? Yes. And so what that says is, you know, I don't even have it in me, God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I yeah. need you to open Give my lips. Give me some words to yeah. open my lips. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I'm inviting you to, you know, yeah. open, open lips so that I can mm -hmm. praise you. You know, what a different mindset that, hey, I'm pretty good here. I've got, you know, this, this you know, hot band behind me. That's and we're going to, we're going to, let's rock, you know. That's, <laughs> it's, it's a rock this place, you know. I, I've actually heard, you know, churches that actually kind of start that, that way. It's like, no, God, you know, this is your meeting. We're called. Yeah. You're, you're the one who's scanning the planet, looking to and fro, you know, looking for, for true worshipers. Mm -hmm. Count me in. Right. You know, and as you're talking, Rory, it just struck me as the height of irony where you and I started out. I mean, that we started out in exactly that kind of thing that you just described. You doing your thing up there, you know, with the team and I'm trying, I'm trying to bring formation. <laughs> but now we've had this privilege of actually, you know, doing what we know to do and what, what, in these very simple little services that are so different. And yet many people will say that the fixed hour prayer services became the most important part of their transforming community experience because of the space that was created for God yeah. um, and the encounters that took place with God in those, in those little simple little services, you know? Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of thrilling <laughs> to think about well, that. Yeah. I like you. You're taking us back to our roots. Cause yeah, you know, I, <laughs> I've done the big stage with you know, the big you auditorium thing with thousands of people mm -hmm. and a big band orchestra, you know, behind me and everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, Okay, been there, done that. I, I I just love the the smallish setting where God's people are, you know, sitting in the round and mm -hmm. uh, just bringing it. You know, mm -hmm. that feels to me like an authentic expression of worship. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to be sure and get to talk to you about, because you and I have talked about it many, many times, is that you do consulting with churches. And one of the things that you've bemoaned from time to time is that people want you to talk about a lot of things and help them with a lot of things in their churches, but they don't want you to mess with their worship. <laughs> so can we talk about that? Like, I, cause I wonder why is that? Why do our churches willing to look at all sorts of other aspects of their ministry in strategic and fresh ways, but they don't want you to mess with their worship. What do you think about that? You know, a lot of that, I think, Ruth, is a reflection of pastors that have been through worship wars, you know, mm -hmm. and I get it in many ways because, uh, you know, I can remember some of those. I've been through some of those myself. And yet I think we're in a different time right now. And I'm actually very encouraged at the response uh, that I've been getting from, from the book. And it has one of the things that I was hoping it would do would be to stimulate conversation mm -hmm. uh, about services, and especially between pastor and worship leader together. Yes. Yes. I was on the phone on a conference call uh, uh, just on Monday with a pastor mm -hmm. and his worship leader uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska, a Zoom mm -hmm. call. They were at a point where you know they want they want to move forward but be on the same page together. And uh, there's just such a, a wonderful spirit, you know, when, when they're working together and they, they just really want to hear God about mm -hmm. their services. And I thought, oh, man, this is so great. So the book is stirring conversations. I'm getting mm -hmm. calls from churches that want to talk more about, gee, how can I apply this to mm -hmm. my situation? 
And uh, I think that's the other thing I try to to do in this book is give people ideas, uh, again, because I'm not advocating some new hip thing or trend. We're looking at the things probably that you're doing that Christians have certainly done you know, for centuries. And how can we be more intentionally, how can we approach it with more intentionality around spiritual formation? Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the kind of questions that that energize me because the the conversation around it is very exciting, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, even the fact that you mention worship wars, I mean, we all know what you mean when you say that. And it's a painful part of our Christian experience together is that worship, which is supposed to be unifying and it's supposed to open us to the presence of God together, has actually become a place of war. I mean, if you look at the phrase worship war, why do you think that worship style is become such a sacred cow among people in churches. I mean, that's a very curious thing to me. Why are there even worship wars? Why are we so attached to this style or that style? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think that we have fostered a consumerist mentality uh, around church and especially around worship. Mm-hmm. And I know like, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, we got the great idea to see why don't we have different venues? You know, that this venue is the, you know, the, the more traditional venue. This venue is, you know, for the young people. This venue is, mm-hmm. you know, for the, you know, this is the cowboy worship or something, whatever. You know, he's, there's even, I mean, there, there's different styles. Where do I, I mean, go to experience cowboy worship, Rory? Uh, <laughs> Texas. Um, <laughs> No, it really is a thing. I, I, I've heard about this. But uh, I, there's one church I remember I was doing a consulting project for that they had five different venues, each with its own mm-hmm. style. Wow. And, you know, wow, it's like, what are we doing there is we're telling people, in fact, that, hey, you come to this service and you'll get your music, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the emphasis then becomes on music and what are and built on your musical preferences, that's not a good place to be because as yeah. when we look at what God revealed about how he wants to be worshiped in the Old Testament, especially Mount Sinai, not a word about music. Mm-hmm. That I think is very telling. That's really <laughs> important. Rory. Not a word yes. about music. Yeah. Yes. And so there's something when we talk about a biblical theology of worship, even there's nothing about, about music in there. And so the biblical principles that I'm trying to unpack in this book and, you know, kind of call us all to have nothing to do with music. They, they go much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we would, I think, teach more about biblical theology of worship and get people away from it being just about preferences, I think this would do a great deal of of good in dispelling this whole idea that it's all about preferences, my preferences, my personal preferences. I think that that is just so important. And I remember you sharing one time in a teaching about being in a couple of different kinds of worship services, neither of which were your preference in terms of music, but you found ways to open to God. Could you describe that? I felt like that's one of the most important things you've ever said about worship. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, when you unpack a biblical theology of worship, uh, we realize that the attributes of God are front and center of uh, biblical worship. Mm-hmm. And we see this all through the Psalms. The Psalms are constantly talking about who God is and what God has done. 
Exodus 1511, it's taken from one of the, the first, if not the first worship song ever recorded in scripture. Uh, Miriam's song is the, the song of Moses that she leads. And it says, who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises. That speaks to who God is. Working wonders, that speaks to who God, what God does. And so we see that pattern, I think, throughout the Psalms and spades where we praise God for who he is and what he has done. And so when you make that the focus of mm-hmm. your worship, uh, as a worship leader and as someone in the pews in the, in the congregation, it you realize, boy, I I can if that's my focus, then I'm not gonna I don't have to worry about the music the, the style, mm-hmm. and so I began practicing that, and I think a breakthrough for me was the story that you're bringing up here. I got an invitation to speak at an event in Indianapolis. I remember, and at the time I was middle age. And so when I walked into the room, I think you could um, uh, understand my dismay when I, I looked around. I was like, wow, I'm the youngest guy here. <laughs> and it's like, wow. And, you know, when the, the band kicked in and the music kicked in, it's like is it an older style. It's like a kind of a Southern gospel kind of a style that, you know, it's not my cup of tea. But then I saw the lyrics on the screen. And I thought, wow, these are really God honoring lyrics. And there's a few attributes of God that just jumped off the screen at me. And I had a wonderful worship time. I I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I really felt like I encountered God. Two days later, I was in a a similar situation where I was, you know, asked to speak at something. And it was a much younger audience and uh, like, uh, you know, in their 20s. And the worship leaders were 20-somethings. And I knew them. They loved the Lord. And you know, the music was was really loud and jumping all over the place. And again, it wasn't my particular style. But like I said, I, I knew the worship leaders' hearts and I saw the lyrics come up on the screen. I'm like, oh, these are great lyrics. You know, these mm-hmm. these extol God. It's not yeah. about me and my feelings. You know, these are, were really looking at God. So I had a wonderful worship time. And mm-hmm. so I came away from those experiences going, I had two distinctly different worship experiences, two different venues, but two different completely styles of, of completely different styles of music, neither of which were my cup of tea, but is able to enter into worship because I was focused on, on God and the attributes mm-hmm. of God. And so hopefully what draws us into worship is not how much we love the music, but how much we love God. Oh, amen. I'm so glad that, you know, that you said that, that you've articulated that in that way. Because it's it's interesting to me how in that very subtle way you can make even worship about you, even worship of, of God, you can make it about you by saying, I need to have my favorite style and I'm going to choose my church based on the style of music, right? Yes. I mean, so that is, I'll never forget you teaching that and I and it challenges me all the time to be sure that my own heart is focused on the right thing when I enter into any space where worship is taking place, that it is about God. It's not about my own personal preference. And as you said, I can worship anywhere if it's pointing me towards God. I can, I can, in any style, I can worship if it's pointing me towards God and God's attributes and God's faithfulness. So I just love that. Thank you so, so much for sharing that wonderful story. 
So Rory, I know that we are only, you know, scratching the surface of all that's in your book and people are going to want to pick it up and really sink and settle and um, steep in, in the truths of the book and also the ideas in the book. And I'll tell you that one of my favorite things about this book is um, the appendix four, where you have a checklist for transforming worship services. Oh my goodness. That is worth the price of the book right there to get this checklist for how to plan and that you can actually, it's a template, really, you can actually look at every worship service through the template that this checklist offers. And it's just so practical and so exciting. So I really want to commend the whole book and especially that checklist. But for now, Rory, we'll have, we'll be able to have some more conversations as we go. But for now, I want to ask you, is there one idea or thought that you would offer to our listeners that they could apply immediately to their worship service planning? Yes. And I would point to, I think it's question number six on that questionnaire that you just mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> survey the checklist and it deals with prayer. And the question I would ask is, are we giving our people opportunities to actually pray? Oh, that's so good. And I have, I have sat through an amazing number of services where the pastor pl- prayed Uh, Maybe the worship leader prayed, maybe somebody else prayed, and I never got to pray. Mm. And I know, you know, I'm supposed to say amen at the end. That's, you know, I'm supposed to be praying as we go along, but I never like verbalized any prayer. Mm. And it just astounds me that, you know, Jesus said, my house is a, God's house is a house of prayer. And when I researched, when I really looked at scripture, and especially in, in, the, in the New Testament, the early church, and especially in the book of Luke, every time, or no, in, in Acts, uh, every time they pray, the word all is very conspicuous because he says, all the people gather, all the people gathered together, all the people bowed down and prayed, all the people met on the beach and prayed. It's like the word all appears every time. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's making a concerted effort to cast a vision or paint a vision of worship where it's not like somebody, just one leader praying and we all go, okay, amen at the end. It's an active thing that everybody joined in. And so that excites me to think of an entire church praying. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what liturgy does. I mean, I think liturgical churches have a leg up on us in that regard, because a lot of what a lot of the liturgy is, we are praying together. But then there are other exercises we can do. I've done this in, uh, in settings, certain church settings as well, too, where, you know, breaking the people up into groups and praying or actually giving people some silence to, to pray and, and maybe give them some ideas of some, some things to pray for. Mm-hmm. And or maybe, you know, families could pray together. Uh, the whole idea is let's get people actually praying yeah. because. What it communicates, if all they see is the professional clergy up, up on the platform of praying, what that communicates is that this is a job for only the professionals, you know. <laughs> don't and try this at home. <laughs> don't try yeah, Don't try this at home, friends. And yeah, and, and yet, you know, that was, that's not the spirit of the early church. They, it was all in. It was like mm. all skate, you know, <laughs> let's all participate in this thing together. 
And so let's do whatever we can, maybe even starting this weekend or as soon as possible to give our people an opportunity to actually pray. Oh, that makes me want to go to church if it's going to be a place where I can actually pray, right? Yes, amen, yes. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. I feel very inspired, Rory, from having revisited some of our history, but also just interacting with you about some of the really important thoughts and ideas and biblical truths that are contained within your book. And I want to let people know that you can get your hands on this book, uh, either through the publisher, InterVarsity Press, and on Amazon, of course, but I would encourage you to perhaps consider purchasing it from our online store because there you can get a signed copy. Um, and I treasure all of my signed books. So maybe you'll want to have a book that's signed by Rory himself. And now as we conclude, uh, some of you who listen to us a lot know that we love to end with a practice. And so we're going to end by just offering up one of the songs that Rory composed for us in the Transforming Center that we sing at least once, if not twice, on every retreat. It's called New Every Morning, and he wrote it for that moment in the service where we have been in the great silence since the night before. We've broken silence together with open our lips, O God, and our mouths will declare your praise. There's a candle lighting, and then new every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. And so God gave him this original composition of a song called New Every Morning. And um, this CD is a CD that we've produced with Rory's music. And in uh, this particular composition, you'll also hear another Transforming Community alumni. His name is Lance Stafford from Cloverton, and he's the one that's doing the vocals on New Every Morning. So enjoy. Take a moment to just allow your own heart to open up in worship as you hear this song. Your mercy and grace, you are faithful. 